Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. You know who's back in town? The boys are back in town. So let's hear it for them here on Let's Hear It for the Boys. I'm Alex. I'm Justin, and that all checked out. I'm Pete. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about, I want to say, the fifth episode of The Boys, Good for yep. the Soul, as we continue to truck along, catching up on The Boys Season 1. Now, as we're taping this, they just announced that The Boys Season 2 is coming back over Labor Day weekend, so we have plenty of time. We can take our time. We can relax. We can go through this. Uh, But we are going to be well-prepared to jump right in on The Boys Season 2. And maybe even since there's time, we'll go back and revisit the comics a little bit. What do you boys think about that? I think that's a great idea. That will give us the necessary background to really explore this, um, this story. If only one of us kind of like worked on a show that kind of knew insider information on it, you know? I guess we'll just never really know the answer to that, though. (laughs) Uh, You know? That's too bad. So, as usual with the episodes of Let's Hear It for the Boys, watch the episode first, then jump on in this, because we're not going to recap the whole thing. We're just going to give you a broad overview, and then talk about some specific parts, things we thought were interesting or liked quite a bit. Uh, But this is... A big episode that's been teased for a while in the series as pretty much the whole gang heads over to, oh my gosh, I, I blanked on the name of it. It's the Believe Convention, Believe right? Convention Believe Expo? Yeah. Believe Expo. The Believe Expo, yeah. Which shows hashtag us the, Believe. Hashtag Believe, which shows us the religious side of everything that's been going on with the soups. It leads to a pretty big revelation of Starlight's own as she wrestles with the fact that the religion that she followed as a kid is not quite panning out as an adult. She ends up giving a speech that blows things up in a big way at the Believe Expo. Meanwhile, Huey is using that time to try to track down more information about Compound V. He is um, still wrestling with his relationship between Eddie versus helping out the boys find out more about Compound V. Uh, and ultimately, he sneaks into Ezekiel, who is the head of the Believe Expo, his uh, private sesh blackmails him, finds out some big information, which leads to Butcher finding out that they are pumping babies full of Compound V and the even bigger revelation that soups are not born, they are made. They're made in a lab, essentially. Um, And the other little thing we should probably touch on is we find out a lot more about A-Train and Popclaw. That's a subplot running throughout this as their relationship very definitively comes to an end here. Uh, Big breakup. Big big breakup this episode. Uh, But in the process, A-Train finds out what Frenchie looks like, and that is bad news for the boys as a whole. So with that overview, let's jump into it. What were your big takeaways for this episode? Pete, you look uh, ready to pop more than Popclaw is ready to pop her claws. (laughs) 
I was just going to say the way she kind of feels about religion is how I felt about Thundercats. You go back and revisit something mm. you thought was great, and then you're like, wait, this doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't hold up. So I definitely related to that. Yeah, your senior thesis was about the loss of innocence when you rewatch <laughs> 80s cartoons. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, wow. and Pete, thank were, God you, and they. were you raised raised as a Thundercatsketarian, or did you just find that <laughs> later in life? Uh, yeah, I found that later in life. But uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I mean, to, to talk about this very seriously, like Starlight's uh, arc, I do think is something that holds very true for a lot of people who were raised in religion and then continue to revisit it as older. I feel like I've talked about this on other podcasts that we've done, but um, I went to Hebrew school in the afternoons, but like a couple of times a week when I was growing up, um, I got bar mitzvahed. I ended up going to Hebrew high school a couple of times at night, uh, which was great. Uh, we learned a lot more about like the at culture. Night, and the, you, you had night high school? I had night high school. It was basically like a night school, but like we... Wow, very we took, cool. Yeah, we took some interesting classes. I learned a lot about cults, which was weird. It wasn't until much later when I was like... Wait a second. You were trying to draw a line between a cult and yourself. I get what's going on here. But my point being that when I got to college, I was still practicing Judaism uh, until there was just a certain point where I was like, uh, this is not hitting the same way. This is not... Uh, making sense to me in the same way. There are things that are contradictory, things that I like, but things that I really don't like. And certainly I've continued to do certain things in the religion, but I do think like Starlight, as you get older and you revisit those things as a kid, they just don't work for you in the same way, particularly when it comes to religion. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I was never raised, we went to church for a very brief time in my life and I never don't have a memory of ever being like, this makes sense to me. I believe this. So uh, it's hard for me to relate to that loss of faith. Um, I've been a heathen my entire life in that regard. But what I the connection point I am ex- interested uh, about with this is paralleling um, the the revelation that compound V is what creates soup. They're not soups. They're not born at the same time that. Um, that Annie Starlight is losing her faith in religion. I feel like this is sort of a whole, uh, like a reverse come to Jesus moment. It's like a come to, um, there is no God moment on both fronts for all of our characters, basically, which I thought was cool how they had those happen in the same episode without ever drawing a real strong line between, between the two. The other thing that I'd mentioned though, about Annie's storyline is I don't think it's necessarily, She's giving up on God and she's giving up on religion, but she definitely is not agreeing with the organized religion that she has followed and been involved in is doing. Uh, she uh, clearly they're against gay marriage. She's not into that. They're uh, against not, you know, uh, not waiting until marriage. That was a weird double negative that got me stuck up, uh, but she's not. Into it's that. called abstinence, Alex. I don't and, know. Um, I don't know. I think you need I to have a look practiced at it. it. Never practiced it. Not interested. Uh, but uh, my point being that like what, again, what I think is very interesting about what she's wrestling with is the fact that she maybe believes in God and maybe believes in religion, yes. but she does not believe, Do you believe in, in God. 
do I believe in God? Uh, no, but uh, she doesn't believe in the believe expo. Like that's the thing. Like she sees it for the money making scheme that it is. And I think I, I don't disagree with your interpretation, Justin, but I do think there's also an argument to be made that that's the same thing that's going on with butcher and the compound V as they're finding out like, Oh, this isn't about something that's some God given, right? It's a money making scheme. Yeah. Also, uh, we find that the uh, Asian lady who has been held prisoner believe, starts to the believe female. in Frenchie. Yes. That's her God. Yeah. Um, I, uh, to, on that in a note, way, she is saved by him. So, you know. Well, they save each other in a way, in a yeah. very real way, because um, he yeah. released her and then she came back and saved him from Black Noir, who would have surely just eviscerated him. Yeah. Yeah. The important thing that we should talk about, though, is how he cooks potatoes. He gives a very specific potatoes recipe in terms of getting them like nice and crispy on the outside. Uh, I feel mm. like we've talked about this before as well, but is that how you like your potatoes? Do you like them like that, or do you like salt potatoes, or what are you kind of into? Oh, man. Salt I haven't potatoes. had salt potatoes in forever. I loved salt potatoes, man. Pete, Those this summer, well, we, we get together if we ever <laughs> if we're learn the same near place. Each other again. Yeah. I'm going to make you some wicked salt potatoes. I'm Dude, from the Salt I would City. Love nothing I'm from more. the Salt City of Syracuse, and that's the home of salt potatoes. Oh, I I would love that, man. We should have like a clam bake or something. I'll you know I can make some wicked clams, guy. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Curious with that guy. Okay. Yeah. Wait. What do you put on your clams, or do you just uh, cook the clams? Yeah, you steam them. Good recipe. Wow. Don't let don't yeah, don't let that recipe get out, Pete. <laughs> oh man, good thing we're not posting this podcast. Or you can cook them on the grill, which is also great. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've done grilled clams. That's fun. You can watch them just pop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, While we're now, talking about Annie, why don't we talk about the Huey stuff as well? Because I feel like we talk about this every episode of the podcast, but I love how they're playing this storyline. It's so good. They're such a sweet couple at the same time that Huey is outright lying to her. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the hard part. Even when he like comes clean, it's a little bit like a little bit cleaner than he was, but you know yeah. he's still lying to her, which but is I, kind of heartbreaking. It is, but I think they do a great job of have, finding that line where I still believe he loves her, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe in their relationship. At the same time, he's, like, totally taking advantage of it and, you know, being a criminal in the eyes of basically everyone. I mean, we can say that um, Ezekiel and the Believe Expo is a criminal enterprise as well, but it doesn't excuse Huey blackmailing the guy because he has um, compromising uh, information for his lifestyle um, that he's willing to uh, share with everyone. Yeah, the evil Stretch Armstrong guy was was a lot. But uh, what I liked about the Huey stuff is like how out of uh, depths Huey is. Like how intr- uh, like t- he's in too deep. He doesn't know what's going on. And in this episode, you think maybe he's breaking a little bit when he sees his ex girlfriend. Uh, in places, and I was like, "Oh man, is Huey gonna fucking just straight lose it?" You know, um, but also we see Butcher lose it as well and take a uh, sledgehammer uh, to his ex's uh, tombstone. 
which, you know, looks very cathartic. Uh, I feel like that would be a really great release if you were mad at somebody just taking the sledgehammer to their tombstone. Yeah, well, that's I, for another discussion. I do that all the time. I just wander through graveyards and just kick the shit oh, out of every tombstone that I can find. very disrespectful. You just said that it was person. cathartic, Pete, and it's I'm trying race. to reach. I was talking about in a television show, not in mm-hmm. real life. Oh, yeah. I go down to famous people's gravestones, smash them up. <laughs> That's not, that is awful. Smash yeah, yeah. cars. I like to pretend that. I'm in the show Friends, and I'm breaking tombstones. That's what you're talking about, right, Pete? Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, the show Friends, you said? Yeah. Oh, you just pretend. I thought you were tra- yeah, referencing you said- an. I thought you were referencing an episode of Friends where they smash a gravestone. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the one where they fuck up all the f- tombstones. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a Ross heavy episode. That guy, <laughs> that guy, problems. Dark. He just, just looks down at the tombstone and says, "You were on a break." Oh fuck yeah, yeah. That's some prime Friends content coming at you. Because <laughs> here's the thing: what you get out of this podcast is we don't just watch The Boys. We also watch all television, or specifically several <laughs> Friends episodes. And that's the kind of preparation we're willing to do to really cover the cult- cultural ramifications. Mm-hmm. I don't want to brag, show. but we have both a Prime Video subscription and an HBO Max subscription. Wow. And truly, that's you the ultimate bragging. flex. And please, <laughs> and I, we do have an advertisement to slide in here. Please check out the podcast, Let's Hear It for the Friends. It's a podcast <laughs> with, uh, with the same host, uh, similar content, uh, just flip-flopped, where we mostly talk about friends but occasionally reference the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just keep, if you don't see it immediately on iTunes, just keep searching. I'm sure it's there. So uh, one dynamic that is very interesting in this episode, if I could try to write this ship, is uh, Homelander. You see Homelander as this kind of like evil, psychotic, uh, you know, person. But then by the end of the episode, he's being a good little boy. And you're like, well, this dude is really fragile. And I'm not sure he's all uh, together as well. Ooh. That's uh, I'm stunned, Pete, that you of all people saw Homelander uh, sucking essentially the milk out of Stillwell, and we're like, "Oh, I feel bad for him," because yeah. normally not... that's your turning point. We're like, "This is fucked up," and I don't care about this at all. Well, I, I never said I felt bad for him, but he comes off as very powerful, very in control. I mean, you see him manipulate. A train, and then they come in for that creepy bro hug, uh, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Homelander has everybody under his thumb, but then it's kind of like we see Stillwell playing him, uh, and he's literally sucking on her fingers, which is weird. He's all about thumbs and fingers. He's got people under his thumb, but he's underneath the other fingers. Now, this that's, is something that's almost directly from the comic books. And in the comic books, he does nurse off of Stillwell. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't do that on screen. I feel like I feel like just metaphorically and visually, they miss a little something by not going all the way with it. But that's not a thing that I necessarily needed to see on TV in a it's TV almost show. Creepier. Difficult to shoot. Yes. Difficult to shoot. It's almost creepier the way they did it. You know, mm-hmm. like... Instead of going for the old, uh, you know, sucking on a nipple, it's almost creepier the way uh, <laughs> the old, sucking, sucking on a nipple. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I just think it, 
it's there is you know sometimes when there is things like they have to work around like that um and i'm sure elizabeth she was like mm, yeah i'm not doing this scene uh but it ended up being like even more creepy in a way because of that that it didn't happen well and i do think uh i don't know even know about creepy but i think it changed it a little bit i think if homelander was breastfeeding off of still on that scene it wouldn't have been the same power dynamic because the way it was in the in the show with her sort of putting her fingers in his mouth, it made gave her much more power, I think, in that mm-hmm. moment. And I really liked that choice um, because she sort of, she sees him watching her. She's known about it. She pulls him in the room. She's in charge the entire time, and she yeah. takes control. And I think it, it was honestly a response to the fact that Starlight's clearly out of her control um, in this episode. She's watching over security feed and whatnot. And I think her move on with Homelander here isn't like, oh, I want to like have a baby sexual relationship with this superhero. <laughs> I want to control the most powerful uh, person on the team or in the world, maybe. Um, and but, she does. But also there was like this really interesting moment where like an alarm went off on her computer. Like she was working on her computer and then alarm went off and then you saw Homelander. So it was like this thing of like, does she set up alarms so she knows where he is? Because he definitely always wants to know where she is. So it's it's very interesting dynamic. Yeah, I mean, just to jump back, we got round two and Homelander versus Stillwell's baby as well, which is a great bit. And what I love about this bit, which really struck me this episode, Homelander is a sociopath, right? Like, among other things. So it should be terrifying to see him facing off with a baby being like, oh, shit, what's he going to do with a baby? And there's certainly an undercurrent to that. But the way that it's played is funny. Like, they play it for laughs, and it works that way. And it diffuses a little bit of that tension in the right way, which I think is very smart and great. It's almost like uh, uh, watching it again, like Homelander is disgusted and kind of afraid of the baby at the same time. Like, it's this weird thing that, like, he doesn't understand babies or see the appeal or something like that. And it's this funny, odd disconnect. But then kind of the show ends with him being a little baby, which is weird. Well, I think he's jealous of the baby, and then he gets to replace the baby um, in the last scene. So I think it, so it is... a circle of life type of thing. And that mm-hmm. is the circle of life that they sing about in The Lion King, is once you start as a baby, and then you become a fetished, a fetish baby. <laughs> yeah, then you, once you're the fetish baby, then you've completed the full circle. Because, you know, they did a lot of sequels, like direct-to-video sequels, and the last one, Simba's a real little fetish baby. He's trying to, like, he's trying to just get that milk. He's trying to get that paw in his mouth. Like, it's, it gets... Disney in the 90s did some fucked-up dark stuff. Yeah, they don't, yeah. It's not going to be on Disney+. Plus. Don't think it's there. It's on Disney Minus, which is a subscription <laughs> service minus. that I have that I'm going to give you guys a password because it's fucked up stuff. I don't want to see that. Yeah. I don't. The, my it's favorite a- line for that movie is when Timon like, oh, Pumba, can you see what's going on with this fucked up shit? This is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. 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 It is. Great voiceover work. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm auditioning for a Lion Guard later on. The the big song in the in the in the movie I'm talking about is Hakuna Matiti. Oh my uh, god! <laughs> it means you can do what a it. wonderful phrase. But speaking of what what Pete? Speaking of Honelander's kind of like uh, power dynamic, 
when Huey kind of uh, uh, cons his way into the exclusive VIP section and Homelander recognizes him right away and Huey kind of freezes. What's interesting about the Huey character is Huey is so fragile yet has these moments of brilliance and power. Uh, The fact that he's able to navigate all these kind of things that he's thrown into um, and then Homelander like holding him under the water for the baptism. And I was like, he was the last one like art. <laughs> like he could just keep him under there. Yeah. Yeah. That scene is great. And so tense and the opposite of what we were talking about with the baby in a funny way. Um, just because you don't know what's going to happen with Huey. You don't know how he's going to pull this off. Um, there doesn't seem to be any opportunity to do the blackmail. And to the point you were making earlier, I believe, Pete, he has become, as Mother's Milk calls off, scary good at this very quickly. Yeah. Like, he has the yeah. Homelander yeah. thing, but to power through that and then have his phone not work and still be able to blackmail Ezekiel in an even worse way than they planned with even less evidence, like, yeah. it's That ruthless. was insane be- Cause you're so, you're so dumb to not remember your phone when you're jumping into water. And then you're also so dumb to try to shake a phone dry. Who are you? But then all Put of a sudden. Put it in rice. That's what the Lord mm-hmm. said. And then all of a sudden he pulls it completely together to frame him like, yeah, you were, you, you fucked me. You did a bunch of crazy shit. It was this whole thing. And I've got tape of it. Uh, I yeah, it was just so nerve wracking the moment he stepped into that VIP tent. What I love about Huey, um, and I think what the power he has over everyone is he's sort of lost everything, and he doesn't believe in the soups at all. And he's the only one because even even Butcher he hates them, but he's still like he sees them as such a threat. He's still in awe of them as an enemy. Huey's the only one who is truly like. They killed Robin. They uh, they suck, and I will. I don't. I become a killer. I killed translucent. Like I am uh, moving through these things in a way where he has nothing to lose. So he's always able to like find that next gear where he can be like the hero in these moments. And he's just he's just so good. Uh, it's a really smart way of of pushing him forward to the story. Well, to yeah. talk about something that we talked about earlier, and I think it ties into, I think it was last episode when they go on the bowling date, all of the lies that he's telling Annie are very close to the truth. And the thing that he talks to her eventually at the end about here, where he says... Basically, like, I don't know what I believe anymore. I don't know what to believe in. Um your speech, you telling the truth about your sexual assault, about not be- knowing what to believe in anymore is the only thing that connected with him. And that ties into the greater thing that he's doing. Like we talked about before, he's leaving out some of the information, but he did the same thing last episode where like he's coming up, he's brushing up against the truth with her, but not going all the way. But that's OK, because that's how I mean, it's not okay, but like it's okay because that's how he is getting himself used to this new life he's in. He's trying to hold on to something. And in this case, it's taking down soups that may not actually be the thing that he should be holding on to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 
really crazy because a lot of times you'll have like a character that you think, oh man, they're going to figure this out or all, you know, but with Huey, it's this thing of like, how can he keep this together? How can he keep this going? Because he's weaving a web of lies that at any point can just come all come crashing down on him. Yeah. Just like all of us. Yes. Um, now, uh, I want to talk um, about uh, the laser baby. Yes. Epic. Oh, oh man. Epic moment uh, for the show. <laughs> laser baby. Like, uh, Butcher is such a curmudgeon and such like a downer through so much of the, the series. But you see in this moment, and this is him like sort of with a soup. This baby's a soup. He's, he's having still, fun. He's loving it. And he's I, like having the best time. In that moment, he is simultaneously a character in the show and also a fan of what's happening on the screen <laughs> in such a great way. Yeah. And he's like, that's the fucking best, diabolical, yeah. all that. Like, it's just all yeah. so fun. Now, let me ask you guys, when you hold your baby for the first time, is it the same kind of feeling that Butcher has when he's holding a laser baby? Because he seems so happy and so proud to be holding this mm-hmm. laser baby. It kind of seems uh, really it, amazing. I mean, it is, is that the same pop- thing, yeah. except for at least my children, when um, I lightly squeeze them, pee and poo come out instead of lasers. <laughs> so, well, maybe mm-hmm. you're not squeezing them in the right place. Have you tried different stuff? Oh, I've tried squeezing them all over, and uh, okay. it's That's still good. only, um, and I said pee and poo, but I meant pee pee and poo poo. No, just to be got, clear, no, I'll tell you what, no that's the to... one thing, not to get too realistic about it, that kind of oh, bothers God. me about that scene a little bit. Not the pee and poo part, but the fact that, like, the logistics of how he's making the baby do that, he has to be squeezing the baby's neck, right? To activate the lasers, I think. I feel like he's squeezing the body. The body? We should yeah. rewatch it, but, like, I, yeah, I think he's he's holding it by a neck to direct. To directional to yeah. to point. I mean, the granted, baby. that baby is probably like six months old or something, not an actual total baby. But uh, mm-hmm. the fact that he's there's something that just bothers me, and I remember the first time I was watching it too about him gripping that baby by the neck so tightly that makes me so uncomfortable. Like if it's actually a newborn baby, you should be giving the head a little bit more support. He definitely shouldn't be squeezing the neck. He's not being safe with these babies, and that's the most upsetting thing that happens in this show. Wow. To be fair, yeah. though, the baby probably has superpowers, so it was like um, impossible to. Yeah, oh, right, yeah right, right. you can't break okay. that baby's All neck. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, that's a super neck. You know, you can that handle is that. Legitimately, one of my number one fears, which is only caused by TV and movies where everybody gets their neck snapped so easily. Like, you just take your hands and you put it on the other side, yeah. and you're like, snap. I constantly think I'm going to snap my children's necks just accidentally at some point. <laughs> oh, my <Wow>. God. <laughs> was that too much? <laughs> Yeah. And your kids have that disease from um, Mr. Glass has in Unbreakable? Uh, they just are... one of them. The other one is Unbreakable. Oh, congrats, dude. <laughs> Thanks, don't man. mix them up. Yeah, I try don't get to... that confused. Yeah. I try. My problem is, like, I don't get either of them wet just in case. I don't want them to lose their powers, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's smart. I think that's the best part of that movie where we find out the hero's weakness is just regular water. <laughs> <laughs> That's everyone's favorite part about that movie. Also, the aliens and science. What is M. Shyamalan Steel? At the Lady in the Water. Does he just not like water? He, he hates water, water, man. Man. Yeah. He's probably he's scared like, of water. No thanks. Diet Coke for me. No, you yes. should drink water, man. 
It's yeah, good you for you. Uh, Laser Baby is great. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about, we brushed over this a little bit, but all the A-Train stuff is, I also, is also very well handled across the board. This is something we've yeah. talked about on the podcast a bit. But the whole sympathy for the villains things works so well. Like, that we open up with a scene where A-Train, using his super speed fakes his girlfriend's suicide, but you still feel kind of bad for him throughout the episode is so well done. So well handled. Yeah. Yeah. They do such a great job of making him like just desperate to hold on to his position in the, but not in a villainous way, in a way where he just has, it feels like he's like, fuck, I have no other choice here. I have to do this. And so you feel sorry for how he's just constantly up against the wall. Um, and yeah, they, they do such a good job on this show of no matter what these characters do, bad guys, you have sympathy for the good guys. You're like, nah, it's sort of fucked up that you're doing that. Like they keep everyone in such a gray area. Um, even Homelander to a degree, even though he sort of is the most villainous on the, in the, in the show. Yeah, I mean, to that point, also, there's only a little bit with the deep, and clearly the deep is terrible. He sexually assaulted Annie. But the thing where he's sitting and watching her speech, and she says, uh, whatever the line is about uh, the, the dude who shoved his dick in my face, his just reaction on, oh, shit, and realizing that it's all coming back to him is so funny and so good. And it's not that you're feeling for him at that moment, but the fact that you can laugh at that is, again, very well balanced. The the choice of making the deep very stupid is so smart, um, I, I think. And it also makes him because they, they could have like pressed him and made him like more evil. But I think what I, it makes a much better point that the deep is just being like a regular shitty dude that we all have in our world now. And there's so much of that coming out and exposure to that, which is good. And the show does a good job of making him not um, a, a monster from like something outside of our regular world. He's a, just a regular idiot who's went, all of his power went to his head and he thinks he can get away with this shit. And in this episode, we find out that he probably won't get away with it. Yeah. Um, also, we got a, we get a little bit uh, behind the curtain with Maeve. Like we get to see a little bit of her kind of story and struggle a little bit. Uh, she gets a little boozed up and can't take it because she's at a funeral. Walks away. She man, she puts down Homelander nicely in this. Like with her, I told you I don't like uh, boring speeches. That was badass. But then gets drunk and go visits her ex, and she's talking about how, like, all the death is too much. And her ex is like, why don't you just go back to Homelander, and he's the big problem she's talking about. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see. It got a little awkward there when Maeve uh, kissed uh, kissed that, that lady when uh, she said stop, uh, but then kind of just leaves. Yeah. Yeah, across the board, I feel like we're kind of hitting the same notes with all the seven, but it's so impressive how much they take the ostensible villains on the show, get you in their heads, get you to care about them, get you to understand their struggles. And even if ultimately it's probably okay if they all die or get killed by the boys, um, it's going to make you feel bad when it happens. Um, There's nothing that really makes you. It's a fun show to watch. 
where nobody is going to feel good about any outcome, right? Like the boys are doing yeah. bad shit to get good shit done. The seven are doing good shit to get bad shit done. Like nobody's hands are clean across the board. Yeah. yeah. And even when you think like, uh, you know, Starlight and her mom are okay. Like that mom whole thing of like, you've got to do this for me, you know, kind of speech before she goes on was also brutal, you know, like, and I, you can kind of understand it a little bit of like, Hey, this has been your whole dream. Like, don't quit now. You know, like this is kind of like what we've been going for. But then, you know, when it's somebody pushing their agenda on another person, that's when it becomes like creepy. And it's one of those things where it made me think of uh, uh, Will Smith and his daughter, because like Hmm. he uh, when she she, when Willow did like whip my hair back and forth and then they signed a deal and like she was performing and then was like, I'm done, dad. And he was like, no, you know, you got like eight more shows. And she's like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And then it was like he was like, oh, God. I'm pushing what I want on on my daughter, you know, and it was like that moment. So that was very interesting. Wow. That's some great insight on Will Smith's psychology. Thank you, Pete. Well, I went down a YouTube hole, but uh, yeah, it's (laughs) irrelevant. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Any, any final thoughts on this one before we start to wrap up here? Any other moments Um, you want to talk about? I want to talk about Frenchie a little bit because like, I have this love-hate relationship with Frenchie because, like, he seems like a, a, a good guy at times. Um, but then it's like he kind of falls uh, uh, for the person that they're kind of, like, subduing and, and who uh, is kind of like, as we find out later, like, Butcher doesn't care about. And he's willing to fight for her. But then he's very hot and cold. Like, his... His girlfriend calls him, or ex-girlfriend calls him, and is like, hey, you're found out, you know? And he was like, it seemed like he was all about her, but then when somebody else came along, he dropped her quickly. So it's like this weird thing of, like, I'm trying to find one person that I can be like, oh, yeah, they're the untouched, pure, like, we got to root for them. But it's there isn't. There's none. Hey, sorry, guys. I thought we were wrapping up. I started the fireworks show uh, <laughs> okay. to celebrate. Um, Man, that's crazy. Is that right next door to you? Yes, it's very, very close. <laughs> uh, Megan, smell it. Um, oh. I, I don't know, Pete, about Frenchie. Like, I think he really, they have a bond, I think, in a good way. Like, in, at the end of this episode, it feels like um, whatever it is, maybe it's romantic. Maybe it's mm-hmm. just like lost souls kind of a thing. Like they are taking care of each other in this final moment. And I thought it was nice. And it does yeah. end. Uh, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but it does. The final line of the episode is he looks at her and says, a miracle, you're a miracle. So he's found something to believe in, which is her. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's the faith right there. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, last thing that I wanted to mention, uh, there was a little bit of Derek Robertson art, I believe, in the Believe Expo. There's a picture of Homelander that Eddie passes by really quickly and is like, oh, what's that? Uh, and I don't know if it was explicitly a cover of The Boys, but it looked like it was a Derek Robertson original, which I thought was kind of a fun little Easter egg for the fans there. Uh, before we wrap up, though, uh, what do we do on this? We talk about who is best boy? Best boy. 
Yeah. <laughs> Who's best boy? Pete? <laughs> what, um, what is that? Is that? <laughs> I'm going to say uh, Butcher was the best boy in this one. I really mm. liked how he, like, went after uh, a couple of the people at the expo. That was fun. Um, and then, you know, I, I really liked how he was getting out his aggressions on the, you know, tombstone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you hate tombstones. Um, I liked, uh, I'm going to give the best boy up for, to Huey in this episode. The way he watched Annie on stage and really, like, you could see him being in love with her just just with the way he was looking at her. And I thought that was a really nice, nice performance. I'm going to give it up for Laser Baby. I thought Laser Baby is an exciting oh, new character. Baby, yeah. What's the arc for Laser Baby? What's going to happen going forward with Laser Baby? What's Laser Baby's motivation? I want to know more. I'm excited to find that, out more. Well, I like how Butch is like, keep your nose clean. Yeah, that was <laughs> funny. <laughs> like, I'll stomp you. Laser Baby, I love you and you saved my life, but you turn out wrong and I'm coming for you. All right. If you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We'll chat with you about the boys. Socially, here at four, number four, the boys on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, I want to say. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Forgot for a second. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. And looks like it's that time, folks. The boys have left town. They are no longer back in town. So until next time, let's hear it for them. And just to be clear, I lo- I set off fireworks f- as a celebration every time we end a podcast. Oh, it's an thanks, expensive man. habit. <laughs>